Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast of Noonan First United Methodist Church. We have a couple of quick announcements before we get into this week's sermons. We're looking forward to meeting together again for in-person worship starting on Sunday, June 28th. Stay tuned for information on how that will look. We will be taking all possible steps to make sure Sunday worship is as safe for everyone as possible, but for those who either don't feel comfortable attending in-person worship at this time or are part of a particularly at-risk portion of the population, we will still be offering online worship as well. As a reminder, you can stay in touch and get all the news you need at our website, noonernfumc.org, and make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Finally, sign up to receive emails by going to our website and clicking email list under media. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll hopefully see you very soon. Our scripture lessons for today, and there are three that are in the lectionary, and there are four, actually. We've chosen to use three of them. The first is from the book of Acts. The book of Acts, chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to those to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And then our epistle reading from Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 15. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And now our gospel lesson for 
this Sunday, Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I have spoken to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. And their repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, blessing God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This past Thursday was one of the festival days in the church year, the liturgical year. But unlike Christmas or Easter, you would never have known this by strolling up and down the aisles at Walmart or paying attention to the advertisements that popped up on your computer screen or came across your television screens. Not Christmas, not an Easter, not something along those lines, but another day that you might have picked up on if you have a wall calendar from a mainline Protestant or other church tradition, and you would know that this past Thursday was Ascension Day. And if you hadn't seen it on the calendar, if you hadn't thought about it with all that's going on, you might have said, oh my, how did I miss that these last 24 hours, Ascension Day, Ascension Day is not a biggie in our culture like the aforementioned Christmas or Easter. Not as popular in the church as the day of Pentecost, which happens to be next Sunday. Even though according to Tertullian, one of the early church fathers, Christ's ascension took place at Pentecost. But by the late 4th century, the celebration of ascension and Pentecost had been separated and developed as separate events. They are linked, however, by the faith fact that if Jesus had not ascended into heaven, then the Holy Spirit could not have descended upon us. About 55 years ago, there was quite a flap created by the appearance of a book by Bishop John Robinson. Honest to God was the name of it. And it's a blistering attack on the three-story universe, which the bishop claimed is implied in this ascension story, He said, no one in the 20th century at the time, no one in the 21st century now can be expected to accept. The three-story universe, and we've talked about it before recently, the notion that all is flat and that underground or beneath the surface is hell, and then there is earth, this world as we know it, and then above that heaven, three levels, three, three strands. But we don't look at things quite that way anymore. In in fact, it's difficult to tell sometimes what direction really is up. But more importantly, theologians and religious thinkers have come to the conclusion, or many have, that there are some truths that simply cannot be communicated by concept or by detail, but must be conveyed by a story. And so what we need to do is not to try so hard sometimes to demythologize or scientifically analyze the life out of a story, 
But listen to what it has to say to us. Christmas and Easter and Pentecost are examples of stories in Scripture that we need to listen to and understand the greater and the deeper truths without trying to dismantle the stories or pick them apart. But so is Ascension, our topic for today, thinking about Ascension Day, which was this past Thursday. The Ascension story is told twice by Luke, once in his gospel and once in the book of Acts that we believe he also wrote. There is one emphasis in both versions, both tellings of the story, and that emphasis is on the word witness. In the gospel account, the word is simply mentioned as the disciples' responsibility, which Jesus has given them. In the account in Acts, the dialogue is given in a bit more detail. Incredibly enough, but not so incredible really when you realize the disciples were folks like us, a mixture strange of good nil, depending on which day it was, the apostles are still hung up on their idea of a restored Israel as a kingdom on earth and the restoration and how all that's to take place. Is this the time? So when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus gently reminds them that the setting of times and seasons is really none of their business. It's God's business. Their job is to witness, to tell the good news, the great good news, the great story, in ever-widening circles until the day comes when the whole world knows Jesus. And then those two attendant figures, men, angels perhaps, reminding the disciples to stop looking up and to return to Jerusalem. You can almost picture it when you walk down the road and there's someone standing there just staring up to the sky. You want to stop and stare at them and begin to stare up into the sky as well. What's going on? But they said, quit stargazing. Get home. Get back to work. Both stories from Luke and Acts have a great deal to say to us at this time. But it's perhaps that epistle lesson from the letter to the Ephesians. Many believe to have been written by the Apostle Paul. Others think another author perhaps writing in Paul's name or under his influence. But for our sake, we'll just say it was Paul. And Paul helps us here to answer the question, why is the ascension important to us? Why is this a big deal? Why should we even think about it or make a passing reference to it? So with reference to Luke and Acts and Ephesians, let's for a moment or two now take a closer look at this whole idea of ascension. Why is it important? It's important because it brings to a close the earthly ministry of Jesus. That's not to say that the ascension is the final chapter, but that is the final paragraph of a very important chapter. Chapter 1 begins with the time before creation, with our God who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And then there is the creation and there is slavery and exodus and the divided kingdom and the exile. And then God, it appears, though I don't think it was really happening that way, God would give God's people the silent treatment for hundreds of years. And then that silent treatment broken by the cry of a baby. And there's incarnation. The word becomes flesh. The birth of the Messiah, the anointed one, is here. Several chapters depict Jesus' life, preaching and teaching and healing, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. 
And ascension does bring to a close Jesus live and in color, in person, earthly ministry. But it does not say the end to the whole story. The next chapter has to do with the ascension into heaven, the sending of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church. Subsequent chapters are still being written. And you and I are the stars. We are the characters in that story. And if the ascension had not provided a terminal point to Jesus' earthly ministry, he would not have gone back to the kingdom of heaven and sent the Holy Spirit, which empowers the church and gives us our life in this world. It wasn't to end like that. Our passage from Acts describes the ascension and those viewing it. The angels asked them, men of Galilee, why do you stand here staring up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken from you will return in the same manner from which he left. Now the final chapter would be written, but not until Jesus returns in final glory. In the meantime, the word for us as God's church, whether we are gathered in these beautiful structures or scattered across this community, the word for us is witness. How are we witnessing to the glory of God, the power of God, the majesty of God in these uncertain and and strange days we're living through? Jesus' earthly ministry, in one sense, has ended, but he ascended. The Holy Spirit descended. We have been scattered. We have been empowered. We are to be about the task of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, every ending in our lives carries with it a bit of sadness, a bit of grief, sometimes a lot of sadness and a lot of grief, whether it be the end of a particular relationship, the end of a job, all those things that, think about it, the loss of a family member, even the loss of a beloved pet, those things that that tear on our hearts. But it seems like too many times the bottom has fallen out and it's over with and the sadness and grief threatens to overwhelm us and then we realize that our feet are actually being planted on more solid ground. The bottom hasn't fallen out. There's a, there's a greater foundation and we base our lives on that and we move forward. Endings always bring about a certain amount of pain and grief but new beginnings bring glorious hope. And great joy. Why is the ascension important? It provides a closing to the earthly ministry of Jesus. And it provides a glimpse into the enthronement of Jesus. Back at the right hand of God. Paul wrote. Which he God accomplished in Christ. When he raised him from the dead. And made him sit at his right hand in the heavenly places. Obviously one scholar wrote that God doesn't have a literal right hand. We talk about this in anthropomorphic terms. We assign human characteristics to God. And I remember that conversation that Jesus had with the woman at the well in Samaria when he said, God is spirit. And those who worship God must worship in spirit and in truth. But we also need to be reminded that in an imperial court from which Paul was possibly drawing his metaphor, the right hand is the place of power, the place occupied by the vice regent who is charged with the execution of the royal purpose. If Jesus Christ is the executor of God's purposes, then he must be the accurate representative of those purposes. 
So now things have come full circle, so to speak, for our ascended Lord. He has returned to his pre-incarnate glory. What was it like for Jesus to give it all up and become human? Leslie D. Weatherhead, a writer in the previous century, in the 20th century, a classic little book, and he wrote many that are real treasures. This one, The Meaning of the Cross, he talks about what we're talking about, Jesus returning to glory. And Anyway, this is what he says. He wrote, I think it was Mr. C.S. Lewis who first helped me to glimpse something of what it meant by asking his listeners over the radio whether for any reason at all they would be willing to enter the prison of a lower form of life. Let me put it thus to the reader. You are sitting in your armchair by the fire or perhaps in some sunny garden You have your home, your work, your dear ones. You have your music, your art, your literature. Lying at your feet is your dog. Imagine for the moment that your dog and every dog is in deep distress. Some of us, he said, love dogs very much. He could have been speaking for me, many of you too. He said, we know that they have it in them to become in a wonderful way the friends of mortals, to develop friendship and devotion and fidelity and sympathy and amazing companionship. Many of us, he said, would prefer to spend eternity with some dogs we know rather than with some people we know. I won't ask you if that's true for you. I don't know who you're watching this with or listening to. I don't want to get you in any trouble. It is something to, uh, something to think about. Those honest, eloquent brown eyes gazing so trustfully into our own, sometimes mournfully, sometimes roguishly, but always understandingly in that wet nose thrust into our hand when sorrow or despair overwhelms us, how much they mean. If it would help all the dogs in the world to become human, he asked, would you be willing to become a dog? Would you put down your human nature, leave your loved ones, your jobs, your hobbies, your literature, your music, your art, and choose instead of intimate companion with your dearest, the poor substitute of looking into the beloved's face and wagging your tail, unable to smile or speak. Christ, by becoming human, limited the thing that was most important to him, most precious in the world, his unhampered, unhindered communion with God the Father. So Jesus became human and gradually, according to Weatherhead, realized who he really was. And then there was Gethsemane, and Gethsemane, remember, means olive press. His soul was pressed in the garden, a cross and a tomb. And even on the other side of the tomb, Jesus would never be who he was before. The resurrected Lord was recognized by his followers as human. And even after the ascension, there was that aspect of humanity that remained about Jesus. Seated at the right hand of God the Father, according to Hebrews 7.25, lives to make intercession for us. Weatherhead believes, and I believe Jesus is still a member of the human family. His humanity was not some kind of disguise or costume that he threw off at death. He took it with him into the other world. Jesus has returned to his pre-incarnate glory, but not in the same sense as before. And he won't until every knee has bowed and every tongue has confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why is the ascension important? It brings closing to the ministry of Jesus, the earthly ministry. 
It declares his enthronement at the right hand of God. It proclaims his lordship now over the church and over every rule and authority and power and dominion. Paul wrote far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him head over all things for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In a time like this, when we are all persuaded to believe that our destiny lies in the hands of great or prominent men and women of the day, folks in the palace, folks in the state house, folks in parliament, wherever, The ascension reminds us of the real limits of any human power. Invisible as those limits may appear to those who possess this limited power. The ascension can put us back on the right track when we began to get mixed up about who's in charge in this world, in this universe. King Jesus on his throne has survived all kinds of rulers and emperors and princes and captains of industry, barons of finance, all these folks who believe that the world belonged to them. There are still such folk. It's important to know who's in charge when we must decide whom we shall serve. Many Christian critics of our society have observed a phenomenon that they call civil religion, and that's when we get the kingdoms of this world and the kingdoms of our God confused with one another, And we can eliminate any of that confusion by taking the ascension seriously. There is only one final authority, one final ruler with all loyalty, all rule and authority. And there can be no doubt that when Paul talked about powers and dominion, he had more in mind than physical power or political power or economic power. He was thinking also of those spirits in the air, so to speak, which in his day were commonly believed to influence the affairs of women and men. And he was affirming that Jesus was also in control of those powers. We may or may not share Paul's beliefs in such spirits, such beings, but we must share his conviction that all the impersonal systems and structures in this world which exercise enormous control over human affairs are not final and they are not absolute and they are all under the authority of Jesus Christ the King and has made him head over all things for the church. Reminder in our scripture lessons for today that the church doesn't belong to us, certainly not to me, not to you, belongs to our Lord regardless of what we might think and how we feel on any given day, Christ is Lord over the church. And we can acknowledge it or we can ignore it, but it's a faith fact that doesn't change. He loved the church and gave himself for it and is in charge, is king over even this church. Why is the ascension important? Ultimately, because it reminds us of the immeasurable power of the greatness of God and and who we believe it's the servants of this mighty conqueror, Jesus the Christ, that we confront the world. It is as brothers and sisters of the sovereign Lord that we do this 
together and witness to this community and beyond. And we're finding ways to do this even in a pandemic when we cannot gather. We are finding ways to witness to our faith and to the Lordship of Jesus. It is as those who already share this with our Lord that we take up our crosses and we find ways to wash feet and to serve. When we feel defeated and helpless, look up. Hard to do some days, it isn't. So many folks with heads bowed over, wondering what it's all about and, and what's next. Jesus has ascended, and the immeasurable greatness of his power is at work in those of us who believe according to the working of his great might. And to my way of thinking, that makes this ascension time worthy of our consideration. And I invite you to do just that this day and always. Amen.